Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. It is October the 5th, 2021. This is this is England is Burning. This is your Chelsea Women Weekly Feature. Uh, we have Rob Prattley back from the CFCW Social, who somehow survived the Facebook Incorporated nightmare that was yesterday. Uh, he is back with us to, to talk about Chelsea and the week that has passed and the week ahead, which is very, very busy for him and for Chelsea. So, Rob, thank you for taking the time to be with us this morning here in the ATL. Yeah, always a pleasure. And yeah, I finally think I've managed to recover from the uh, the period of actually not having social media and not being able to just rely on my life on social media yesterday. Yeah, I imagine. And, and then I don't know if anyone went like Jack Nicholson and The Shining or something like that during the middle of it all, but uh, I don't know. But uh, I could sense that could possibly happen at some point. Um, but we I have think, a lot. Go ahead, Rob. I think Manchester City fans are probably already there when they saw Gareth Taylor hadn't been sacked, but I think that they've probably already reached that stage. Yeah, they. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be talking to Kate about that, you know, later on this evening, and and uh, I, she luck. was already uh, already getting the uh, the effigy ready. Uh, so, um, so she was already ready. <laughs> but let's talk about more about uh, Chelsea and everything else. And again, anyone who's watching this, please uh, like the video. Please subscribe. Uh, also, if you are listening to this on the podcast and and uh, I want to say thank you so much because the podcast has most listeners we've ever had last week for the four shows uh, that we've ever had as far as our podcast was concerned. Uh, usually our videos are usually the more popular sometimes and it just kind of goes back and forth but the podcast really boomed thanks to you so um yeah thank you so much for that and if you're listening please give us a review please subscribe and please as always share with your friends uh rob you're doing okay you you survived so you're doing good though yeah, yeah, I'm all fine and all ready to talk about what I think has been generally quite a good week for Chelsea. Yeah, I, I imagine. I mean, you know, as far as, you know, weeks are concerned, you know, I, I, some other teams that we shall not name, uh, you know, had some more difficult weeks. So the first thing off here, and I'm not, I don't want to touch on it too much, but because I think it was kind of a business as usual kind of thing. But but first off was the quarterfinal of the FA uh, FA Cup. Now, yeah. just for a reminder for everyone out there, this is sort of a for, the FA Cup. This is the 2021 Women's FA Cup. It's okay. So it started last season, and now we're continuing into the season. So, um, so we had the the quarter final against Birmingham in midweek, uh, and which ended up being a four nil for Chelsea. Uh, it seems like uh, Emma. Hayes kind of did a rotation, uh, but, you know, things kind of struggled a little bit in the first half. And then Emma Hayes decided to throw in the the really big guns to finish mm-hmm. this thing off. So, Rob, what was your impressions on uh, yeah, the midweek? The first, half, the first half felt like a game where it was an 11 of players that hadn't played together before. And that was the case. A mm-hmm. um, couple of bright sparks. Again, Georgia Fox continued to look very accomplished and capable in the wingback role. Jesse Fleming did show some nice touches. I think... Beth England will probably be a bit disappointed. Obviously, you know, put a penalty over the bar that rivaled that of Bruno Fernandez's um, from a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, Ouch. generally sort of a generally a tough, um, a tough sort of a tough nut to crack again. Birmingham were never going to make it easy. They weren't going to come out and play an expansive style of game. Chelsea dominated possession, didn't really create a lot, which I think was what was more concerning. When they did create things, they were getting in each other's way. A lot of the time, that was what I think was probably frustrated Emma the most, is that there were several chances where better decision-making would have done it. But then, obviously, 
when you're in a situation where you can then turn to your bench and bring on, you know, the current Golden Boot winner, the best player in WSL and, you know, one of the top players in the world um, as part of your sort of three substitutes, then I think you're always going to go on and win it. To be honest, as soon as Chelsea, it felt like a game, as soon as Chelsea got one, they would go on and win it comfortably, which is however long it took to get one. And it did prove to be in that case. In the end, they ran out very comfortable sort of winners. Um, obviously, Manchester City in the next round, of the you know, the annual cup match against Manchester City that just seems to happen every single time. I did enjoy Emma Hayes after the game. She was interviewed by the BBC and was asked, uh, you know, she asked who we'd got and uh, she said, is it Manchester City? Is it Manchester City again? Who does this draw Arsenal? Someone told her, which <laughs> her response was, well, there you go then. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, yeah, obviously, Emma very much tongue-in-cheek there. I mean, a lot of people found seem to find it very hard to understand that was tongue-in-cheek on social media because, as we know, you know, heaven forbid a manager make a joke. Um, uh, yeah, but, really. And, yeah, and there was an awful lot of, you know, nonsense and wringing of hands and people getting completely, you know, over the top about it. Um, but in regards to it, yeah, I think Chelsea, you know, they're expected to win it. They're now closer to sort of, you know, the game in Wembley in sort of um, December. Obviously, sort of still a couple of games left to go. Uh, you know, every team that's still in it. Arsenal will not have an easy game, I'm sure, against Brighton um, because they're a tough nut to sort of crack. Chelsea City, well, it depends how City, you know, sort themselves out. But I'm sure, you know, they won't make it easy. And by that point, they might actually be able to field, you know, a starting 11 that looks something like their preferred starting 11. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it, is, it sort of is what it is. And Chelsea expected to go through, did the, went and did the job eventually. And, you know, if you're a Chelsea fan, you're looking back on it from before the Brighton game, and you're saying, OK, we've played sort of Manchester United and Birmingham in the league in the FA Cup and scored 10 and conceded one. I think it's pretty hard to, you know, be negative about it. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it really is hard to be negative, but but as you kind of alluded to, that social media has a has a tendency to get negative for apparent reasons, uh, or try to find things to harp on. And this time it was, you know, uh, Emma Hayes, which I mean, which is kind of typical. Sounds like it's typical for her to use kind of dry humor as a way to, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, and and people kind of throw, you know, people don't quite get that, and they take things way too concretely, uh, you know, and so. Um, yeah, they don't, they may not understand what it, what a joke might actually be, particularly from a manager. So, um, but not a whole lot of, you know, there's not a whole lot to really take away from that, except it was, you know, survive in advance. Uh, you know, there was rotation in the first half, but then being able to, being able to have the, the, um, the luxury to be able to just throw out Harder and Kerr and Kirby in and to finish the game off and, and, you know, not have them have to play a full match, you know, leading up to the games that are coming up. And so, which then gives us a segue over to Brighton. Uh, your your initial thoughts going into the Brighton match, what, what were you expecting? I mean, to me, this was, and this is going to sound ridiculous, this is one of uh, Chelsea's few free hits this season. Because last year they didn't take any points in the corresponding fixture. And mm-hmm. I always knew that the year later. I always say that any game where you improve your result, uh, it was the same with uh, Chelsea men at the weekend when they played Southampton. Because previously the year they'd lost to Southampton at the, um, at the bridge. The game is a free result. It's a free hit. And if you get more points, great. If not, you're no better than last time. Now, obviously, that's a bit of a different situation that Chelsea obviously had their opening day lost. And that was a bit of a surprise. But as I've said before... I don't think, you know, one loss this season is going to define the league. Whether you, When you start losing two or three games on the bounce or consistently dropping points like Manchester City are, that's when you're in more of a 
sort of problematic position. But I think most Chelsea fans expected Brighton to come and play a similar game, and they did. And it was up for Chelsea to, you know, break them down and to, you know, do the business. And to be honest, Chelsea should have, again, it was another game where they started very well and should probably have had the game, you know, sewn up even before they scored the opening goal. I remember Kerr had that very good early chance. and I think Harder also had one where she sort of didn't really run out of steam, but sort of got caught up in a couple of lines where she could have sort of burst through. Um but obviously, you know, the opening goal, lovely bit of play from Harden, some good awareness, Curly sort of laying it off to Wrighton. And I was really pleased actually to see Wrighton getting on the score sheet because after a tough year yesterday, she's a really, really good player. Um, or last mm-hmm. season, she's a really good player. And it was good to sort of, you know, see her coming back into form in this new wing-back role that's probably a little bit more difficult, but it's good to sort of see her really progressing in that. Yeah, I think this was the coming out party for her, at least for this season, um, you know, and it was really kind of really good to see. Again, a 3-4-3 lineup, uh, you know, with AKB back in, and back in the goal uh, with the front, the next three with uh, Magdalena Erickson uh, and Carter and um, Millie Bright. And then the wings, uh, as we mentioned, Wrighton and Cutbert. Um, and then above them or up from them was Leopoldson. Uh, Sophie Ingle, and then your the triad, um, the the Kirby Kerr and Carter uh, triad. Uh, so fairly strong lineup. Um, one of the questions I had was about uh, G was not even on the bench. Was wondering if that was a, a an injury or coach's decision or that type of thing. From what I understand, it may have been that she was um, sort of slightly under the weather um, earlier in the week and had been slightly under the weather. Um, I think it's also one of those things that people need to acknowledge now that G is a little bit older now. And I think Chelsea can afford to save her more for games like Wolfsburg tomorrow and more for the Champions League games where it's going to be more important to dominate the ball and dominate midfield. And they can perhaps you know, afford in a game like Brighton where they know they're going to control the ball, but they need to be aware of quick counterattacks and that pace on the counterattack. And that is one thing where G does perhaps lack a little bit in the... She's a fantastic midfielder, but she's not really as box-to-box as, say, Leupold's, and she's not sort of the sitting player that is Sophie Ingle. She'd rather play in that final third. I also, from another perspective, I also think G not playing in that sort of pocket of space does mean that Penilla Harder can affect that area more. And I think that's certainly one of the things that Emma May has noticed in the last few weeks, is that Harder's sort of influence generally on the game in terms of the match she gets the ball and dictates play has improved significantly with G not being present. And that's not to say they can't play together, but I just think if they like to occupy similar spaces. Okay. All right. So that's good. So to me, the first half, it sounded, it looked like to me that, that Chelsea st- started off as expected, started off very strong, started off on the front foot, started, this was a very offensive, uh, you know, lineup and formation, um, you know, obviously with all the weapons that were on, uh, on hand, uh, seemed to start off very well. But the thing that, that struck me, Rob, was, um, there were a lot of chances that were created and then there were a lot of, there were a number of chances that, you know, uh, were not finished off. were not converted. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you, uh, I mean, I think that's true to a point. I also do mm-hmm. think it's the case that Chelsea, you know, do attack so much. And because when you attack that much, you are going to create chances and inevitably some are going to come and some are going to go. And, 
I think that's where that's probably the next little step Chelsea need to take more in this 3-4-3 is having that ability to be so consistent and to be really, you know, clinical when it matters. And I think that's what maybe will separate them with some of the sides um, when they kind of get more, you know, against some of the real top sides in Europe is that ability to be really clinical when it matters. Because we saw last season at times at UWCL, they didn't have that and it cost them. And at times they did have it and they really benefited from it. I also think that, that I mean, the thing I always enjoy about Brighton is Brighton does have a tendency to, they, they will allow chances, but they're very good at not allowing teams to convert those chances. So I think some credit needed to go to Brighton. I, I saw, I mean, I heard some stuff, you know, from other podcasts and other online about, you know, that a lot of wringing of hands, as you mentioned earlier about, you know, yeah, well, they're, they're creating all these chances, but they're not, you know, not converting them. And I thought that wasn't really exactly fair, as you just said, you know, where, yeah, this is an attacking team. They're going to create a lot of chances. And then you're going up against a team that their yeah. t- intent is to be resolute and not, you know, you know, they'll allow you to have chances, but they're going to be strong enough and resolute enough to try to keep you from converting them. But and the goals were brilliant, though. I mean, in, in the first goal that that girl Wrighton had uh, was kind of some, you know, a little, you know, really smart, you know, decision about throwing it in really quickly, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. before the before Brighton was set that, you know, and then that, there was space that was created, um, you know, that Brighton just kind of slotted right right in there to be in the position to take that shot from 12 feet uh, that went in. So um, that was really good uh, as well. And then that that really nice looping, you know, passed for, you know, Kerr to head it in, you know, on the 37th minute, um, you know, which was, you know, that, that took a lot of, a lot of skill. And, but also somebody made the comment, I don't know what you thought about it. I thought about uh, that. I heard there. It's like, sometimes Sam Kerr does, a, does better when she doesn't have to think about what she's yeah. doing. Yeah, <laughs> and in that situation, that was one of them. Yeah. I was talking to my, um, my friend Mia about this actually. And again, if you, um, you know, she, this may have already gone out by the time that she was on CNN, um, today previewing the UWCL so I'm extremely sort of pleased to see that because she's worked incredibly hard for her opportunity and done a lot mm-hmm. for both CSW Social myself and the community so yeah you know real big congratulations to her in that regard because it's finally good to see her get the recognition she deserves but I said that Sam Kerr it's really interesting she misses some real guilt edge chances some really easy ones but some of the finishes she does come up with are absolutely extraordinary Right. And I think when you've got a player of that quality and that calibre, you can afford, you accept them maybe missing one or two sitters because you mm-hmm. just back them to score the next one and to score the next one and to score the difficult chances. And I mean, okay, to a point, I can kind of see what people do say. I mean, I had a great chat with someone about me and my versus Kerr, and they sort of said, you know, you give me the that chance, she takes it 99 times out of 100. But there are goals that Kerr scored, particularly with her head and stuff, that Miedemar just wouldn't score because she's not that sort of centre forward. Um, and that's not saying Miedemar isn't brilliant. Miedemar is a brilliant, brilliant player as well. But it is interesting that Kerr, I think it really works on instinct. And a lot of the time her best finishes come from instinctive stuff like that header, getting herself in there where it hurts and knowing that, you know, you might take a clattering from the defender or from the keeper. I will say I think that one was poor goalkeeping. Um, I do think, you know, Walsh should have, communicated better with her defenders. But the fact that it also is brought by the fact that Kirby's cross was so good 
And it was yes. into that area right between the corridor of uncertainty where the defenders aren't sure if you're going to deal with it. And obviously, if you're a defender, you're thinking, if Kerr's up there, if she brings it down, I kick her in the head, giving away mm-hmm. a penalty. The keeper's yep. thinking, I come out and clatter Sam Kerr, it's a penalty. But don't come out and get the ball, Sam Kerr score. So you put that indecision in their head and you make it difficult for them to make that choice. And then suddenly it becomes, you know, sort of second nature. And I, I think people should give more credit to that than, sort of, you know, pointing out the mistakes because ultimately yeah. the mistake only happens because Sam Kerr's there. If right. Sam Kerr hadn't been there, then, you know, probably the defender probably clatters, the keeper and the defender probably clatter and the referee probably blows the whistle anyway and gives, you know, a stoppage because of the injury. Right. And and I think that that's a really brilliant point. And, and you know, but let me start with the, the, the Kerr-Mitama debate. The, and to me, it's not really there shouldn't really be one because they're both brilliant and the and they're both brilliant in different ways because they're two debate. totally different it's players. Boring, boring debate. Yeah, it's and so I, I don't even want to get into that debate because I love them both and they and they have their skill sets are different now. And Sam Kerr's skill set because of just her style of play and what how she plays it's going to be totally different and i think people in a, a lot of people have given sam kerr such a hard time and they expect way too much from her um you know because they, they're always very quick to point out well she's not converting enough she's not converting enough but she's your prototypal you know center forward striker she's gonna miss some and then there are going to be some great ones and so you just got it you know you just have to wait i can name so many players that i've seen that that people just you know will wring their hands over because they're not converting but then you know they get moments like this where they convert just spectacular stuff the other thing about chelsea that makes chelsea so good is they are so great at creating mistakes on the other side you know that looping cross is a case in point because yeah you put people into no person's land uh where they have a decision to make and all the decisions are wrong (laughs) so um you know so it's like you know you you just your brain kind of freezes up at that point because you don't have a good choice um to make and that was created by that cross and in both you know Kirby and Kerr know that, you know, they've, they've got that trained out, you know, where they've done this in training multiple times where they know, okay, we do put the ball right here, then it's yeah. going to create a problem. And so, yeah. and that's the miss, those are the sort of the mismatches and, but it takes great skill, great intuition to do both. And that's what makes them great and more and a lot of fun to watch. So uh, Brighton had a, uh, made an addition over the summer with uh, Daniela Carter. Uh, coming oh, in, God, do not get me bloody started. Um, Another one of those players I could I could do an eleven of these, an eleven of players <laughs> that always whenever they play against Chelsea women, they just seem to you know turn into you know the sort of great yeah. players in the league. And there, there's also you know Beth Mead's another. I'm more terrified when I face Arsenal of Beth Mead than Vivian Miedemar because Beth Mead just I don't know what it is. It goes back to her Sunderland days. She has something where she's just bloody. She must not, you know, she must genuinely must hate Chelsea in real life because she turns to, you know, into this sort of godlike sort of figure whenever she was. And Daniela Carter is another one of them. I think Carter is a really good player. I think she's a good sign for Brighton. I think she's been an excellent player in WSL. Again, really difficult when you're in a situation at Arsenal where you're sat behind, a bit like Beth England at the moment, when you're sat behind a world-class striker and you're a really good striker because Daniela Carter is a really good striker. But when you're sat behind a world-class player, and you want to be playing and you have to take your chances when they come. And I think Carter will be one of the reasons why Brighton will be comfortably safe from relegation this year. You know, I think it will 
comfortably occupy a spot in mid-table um, mm-hmm. because of that reason. But I will say, the one thing I will say with this goal that did annoy me is that as soon as the piece of skill was on from, I think, from Coivisto's path, there was a little bit of skill on the edge of the box. At that point, there is a square pass into Carter. There should never be an opportunity for someone to be playing a square pass into a centre-forward across your box. Someone should either be clearing it, you should either be getting closer to the player or alternatively blocking the pass out. And that's what I think will really annoy Anna Hayes because if you allow that sort of thing to happen in UWCL, and if we you know, say this was a dress rehearsal for UWCL, then you know Wolfsburg turning and, OK, Eva Payal won't be playing. I think she's injured at the moment, but they've got other top players. Bang, they're turning, that's 1-0. And in a game where it's not, you know, you're not leading 2-0, and perhaps not like a game where WSL, where you can afford to be a little bit sloppy, that's the sort of fine margins in which games are won and lost. Right. And I mean, you can afford to do it against Brighton. No offense to them, but you can afford to do it against Brighton or to, I mean, I wouldn't even say you know, Everton or whatever. But with the, way, with the way Brighton set up, I wouldn't like want to give away sloppy goals against them because if they had, if it had been nil-nil, and they'd have conceded that slot and Chelsea conceded that goal, they wouldn't have come back and won the game. Because Brighton would have packed the midfield, they'd have started, they'd have frustrated it. And the thing is, because it was 2-1, Brighton still had to remain fairly open. And that's a completely different game when you're, you know, 2-1 and you're perhaps, you know, a smaller team chasing points away from home as if you're a small team defending a 1-0 lead. Mm-hmm. Certainly. I mean, certainly excellent point. Uh, a very excellent point uh, on that. So did they, what the, I heard someone say that, you know, um, you know, they, the team basically stayed in the dressing room for, yeah. you know, 10, the first 10 minutes of the second half. Uh, much, yeah. It was really sloppy. And, and, and yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously someone like Emma Hayes is going to be like, no, uh, this, no. She, she will focus, as, as I said to someone in the training, she will focus more on the 10 minutes in that first half than she will have on the 90 minutes against, against Manchester United when it right. comes to analysing and training. She will focus more on even those five minutes against Brighton than she no will doubt. have on any of the other minutes against Manchester United or even, you know, Birmingham or even the game against Everton. That will have been yeah. all she cares about. Yeah, I would totally. And, and if I were her, yeah, I would absolutely agree with that because there's really, I mean, you know, there's not a whole lot to take away from a 6-1, you know, win, but there's a lot to take away from giving up a sloppy goal in the second half when when the game is still in doubt. Um, because, I mean, 2-0 is not, you know, a scoreline that, that you know, is, you know, overwhelming uh, and so forth. So, yeah, just being mentally turned off, being sloppy physically and so forth and allowing a very good player to have the ball in a position to, to be able to score from six feet. Um yeah, that's not, that's just turning it off. And then she had another one, you know, um, another shot that was blocked, you know, you know, moments later, six minutes later. Uh, and then it appeared that Chelsea came back into gear um, again and went back on the front foot, but it took them a good 10 minutes to, for that to happen. Um, and then they got it back rolling again. You mentioned Bethany England. She gets the, the third goal um, of the match in the 80th minute. Um, from a Fran Kirby pass as well. So Fran Kirby may not be scoring a whole lot of goals, but she's creating a lot of uh, goal-scoring opportunities um, as well. So your thoughts on that final goal by Bethany England? And I was glad to see her score. I mean, it's one of those where I really love a finish like that, where it's into the roof of the net, because however, when you're at close range like that, however good the goalkeeper is, it's just you're not going to stop it. 
and into the roof of the net in the top corner from inside the box. As soon as any kind of finish like that, Ogop was getting near it. And I, I do like seeing players finishing that well. I was pleased to see him gun score because I think, as I've said before, she's unlucky to, you know, um, sort of be in the situation she's in where she's sat behind a really, really, you know, top, top player um, in Sam Kerr. And her, she herself is a really top player. As I said, in the summer, she could have gone elsewhere. I think she's keen on, you know, staying and fighting for her place. And so far, you know, when she gets the minutes and stuff, she is showing that she can contribute. She got, obviously, the assist against um, Manchester United and obviously sort of scoring in this game. And it will just be important for us to take chances when they do come. That's why I think she'll be so frustrated with the bright, uh, the Birmingham game because, obviously, there was a good chance to get off the mark in that and didn't. But getting that goal is always, you know, it's always nice to, you know, get a goal and get yourself on the score sheet. Um and yeah, I think to be honest, in, in all honesty, Chelsea sort of ran out quite comfortable. Sort of winners, obviously, three assists for Fran Kirby in WSL. The second time she's done that in WSL, I think that makes her the second. Uh, that is, you know, makes her the only other player to do it twice uh, in two different WSL games. Previously, it was in the seven-two against Liverpool, where she scored twice and got four assists, um, mm-hmm. which was just an absolutely utterly bonkers game. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, people. People are saying about Kerr and Kirby, sort of, you know, they're not performing at the same level as they were last year. I mean, Frank Kirby, I think, has now got in the opening five games, yeah, no, opening four games, two goals and five assists. So if seven contributions in four games is underperforming, I'll happily take that all the way along in the same way with Sam Kerr from the beginning of last season. People saying she needs to be more clinical. Well, if clinical is, if we talk about clinical in terms of performance, well, if clinical this season is going to be in um, four games, she's going to get five goals and an assist. Well, I'll happily take that level of being not clinical um, mm-hmm. because it's, yeah, it's just a little fast to be honest. And it's silly. It's people, I think at times trying to overanalyze for the sake of overanalyzing. On the topic of Sam Kerr, actually, I would like to share a lovely uh, moment that we had from last weekend, mm-hmm. uh, the CSW social in coordination with Chelsea's Partners 3, who, you know, I've said before, are the best sponsors in WSL, uh, gave us some tickets to give away. And uh, we got to give them away to one chap who had uh, his daughter at the game. And uh, Sam Kerr at the end came over and gave them the the shirt. And uh, Samantha Miller, the journalist and sort of ex-player, captured it on footage. And it's just lovely to see. And it's one of those where it's like, you know, it genuinely warmed my heart to sort of see that because it's a memory sort of thing that I have for a lifetime. And it's the sort of thing that will get you you know, really into games. And if you are, you know, UK-based, I'm not sure how many of your listeners will be, but if you are, you know, UK-based, I do urge you to get down and support your local women's side because of the opportunities and things like that to interact with players that you don't get in the men's game. And, you know, I'm going down to CSCW this weekend. We've got a CSCW social sort of meetup down there. And, you know, I've spoken to a few of the journalists and people covering it for Sky and stuff and said, do you fancy sort of meeting up for the game? And everyone's sort of really friendly. There will be chances to talk to the players and stuff. And it's just that level of accessibility you just don't get elsewhere. And if you're, I would also probably say that women's games are probably a little bit are more friendly, in all honesty. So if you're, you know, unsure about it, do go along. There's a real sort of, you know, positive camaraderie from both sides, especially if you do get some away fans, you know, you're fancying an away day, if they can sort it properly. I've said before that away days need to be better police, but, you know, home fans are always brilliant. You always get a great sort of, you know, good banter, good reception, people will help you out. And also if you, you know, are LGBTQ plus and perhaps might feel, you know, that you're not welcome in the men's game for whatever reason, firstly, that's a very sad circumstance that we find ourselves in. But I will say the women's game is really, really accepting for that. And that's only sort of positive as well. 
Absolutely. Brilliant stuff, though. Very, very brilliant. Uh, yeah, to uh, half of the people that that uh, either watch or listen are from the UK. So so we so as we have a good number of folks in the UK that are listening and, okay. and watching uh, and so forth, the sort of half and half with <laughs> almost half and half with the US. If are any of them are going to be at the Chelsea Leicester game at the weekend, please do, you know, DM me on them um, sort of on, on Twitter. And let me know. I'll come along and uh, say hello. And you can finally actually see what I look like, which would be an exciting, you know, <laughs> exciting slash disappointing moment for you, most likely. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, I'm always happy to sort of, if you see me at game, do come along and say hello. It's always good to have a chat with anyone and Absolutely. you will learn that I do indeed talk for toffee. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for that for that plug in, uh, Rob. Who was your uh, player of the match uh, against Brighton? Oh, see, this was this was tough because I thought the obvious one to give it to is Frank Herbie, um, because mm-hmm. three assists in a game is you know absolutely brilliant. Um, and Guru right now, I thought had a really really good game from wing back. But I also did feel that we started to see the best of Melly Lurpols again in the Chelsea shirt, being really dynamic box-to-box being really involved in things. Um, we still haven't seen, you know, our regularly scheduled Leopold rocket that I'm sure, you know, is going to pop up sometime in the next couple of weeks and inevitably win goal of the month. But, um, yeah, I, I thought she had a really good game. I thought she, yeah, I said last season that when she ticks and plays well, Chelsea tend to tick and play well, the same way Sophie Ingle, and that's why that midfield axle is so important. Um, but I think, you know, there's more to come as well from Leopold. I think she wants to step up and be that real dominant buccaneering sort of box-to-box midfielder and I think that's probably the other thing Chelsea want to try and get a little bit more out of because if they can get you know that extra five or ten percent from players this year that can be what takes them that extra hurdle. Yeah um, just list some stats uh, about Lou Paltz in this in this match um, she had 22 pressures five successful um, most of it, most all of which were in the midfield, had four tackles. One of them won. Most of those tackles were in the midfield. Um, you know, definitely, you know, a part of all aspects had one, one shot creating action uh, as well. Uh, so yeah, that's a good, that's a really good solid shout for her. Uh, yeah, for me, it was a toss up between Wrighton and and uh, Kirby. Uh, it's kind of hard to, kind of hard to miss, but. Um, but certainly to look at some stats with them. Uh, hold on. Whoops. Sorry, folks. All right. Yeah. Girl Wrighton had six shot creating actions and Kirby had six shot creating actions as well. And Harder had five. Um, but also you had obviously had Fran Kirby with her three assists and three goal reading actions with uh, matching her assist um, as well. So, you know. Certainly, it's um, it was sort of a toss-up, but I was sort of wondering who you thought there. Other stats in this match, um, passing accuracy, 82% uh, overall. Um, does, Emma, does Emma Hayes get concerned about pack, passing accuracy? Is she concerned about that at all, being at, at 82%, or is it more about being more forward? I think it's more about being more forward. Again, it's one of those things where, like, I, you, you'll know I've said this before. I think stats feature far too much in the game of football. There is one stat in football that matters, and that's the final score. Um, and I, I had a chat again. Me and Mia sort of chatted about this yesterday, and we, uh, I sort of said that far too often, you know, people look at numbers and statistics and data, and the fact of the matter is whether you win a cup final one nil or you win it six nil, you win the same trophy. Um, right. And in the same way, if you lose a game 9-0 or 1-0, you lose the game. 
Um, obviously, there's a different feeling from the fans and the tribalism, but I think that I, I think at times Emma won't be so fussed about that. She's more, you know, if it was poor passing accuracy and a poor performance, I think that would be more of an issue. Or if it was poor, poor passing accuracy that contribute to a poor performance, are you giving away sloppy goals? That would be a problem. But if it's poor passing actually because they're trying to be inventive and trying to, you know, do sort of you know difficult passes and passing through the line, I, I, I try and like, I like to think of poor passing actually. It'd be interesting to know that how much of that is unforced errors, because I think also passing actually is one of those things. A bad pass can also be a very good interception, and that's one of the like aspects you have to take to it. Certainly understand other uh, other useless statistics there <laughs> that that um, people are going to wring their hands about five out of 19 shots on target. Um, people are going to wring their hands about that. Well, actually, people are had wrung their hands about that. XG for those that are concerned about that at all. XG for Chelsea was 2.0 to 0.5 for for Brighton. Uh, and let's see, I'm looking at the passing stats real quick trying to see if there were errors that's it mm, i didn't see, yeah uh, didn't see many errors there oh there it is okay yeah so yeah they were 20 let's see brighton had 30 interceptions total uh on on passes to 21 uh, and so forth. And there were a, f- a few blocks in there, but, you know, nothing yeah. major there. Uh, possession was uh, dominated by Chelsea, but that was to be expected. Nothing unexpected there. So let's segue into, we talked we talked briefly about um, touching on the, the UWCL. Mm-hmm. Uh, first group stage match right up against the team that seems to always, just like uh, Manchester City seems to always end up in a cup cup match somewhere in the in the opening stages we have Wolfsburg in the group so your thoughts about Wolfsburg going in tomorrow it's a very different Wolfsburg to the side Chelsea played uh, just a couple of months ago a lot of players leaving in the summer um, and a really unfortunate injury to Ava Pior and that's a real shame because you want to play when you watch the top teams play you want to see the best players playing I think they've also got some other injuries as well um, they'll still be a really difficult opponent but I think Chelsea will feel especially now the monkey is off the back as well um, in terms of getting that result against Wolfsburg. I think that will, you know, help them kick on. And I think, you know, Pinilla Harla will obviously also feel, again, she has a point to prove, especially after the comments that were made about the coach, by the coach, I think, who's now left last year, um, about the way sort of Harla left. It will be good to see, I'm told that she, you know, is expected to get a very good reception from the fans that are there. And, you know, the fans are going to hopefully recognise her for, the amazing work she did for VFL Frauen. So it will be good to see, you know, to hopefully see that. And yeah, I think Chelsea should be hoping to top the group. So, you know, it's now the onus is on them to have another successful season in the new format. And uh, it's really good that we will hopefully be able to watch it properly and actually enjoy all the games thanks to uh, days and sort of coverage of it. So, yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely, um, and hopefully in the states we'll we'll have a better have more opportunities uh, for that. But that's probably at some time coming. Wolfsburg goes in. I mean, typically, um, you know, typically they're you know they're one of the German top sides, uh, if not you know one or two in the Frau Bundesliga. 
um, but they're going into this undefe you know, undefeated. Uh, uh, kind of an odd draw with them over the weekend on Saturday against Freiburg um, away. But it was a 2-2 draw there. Um, a little bit of, yeah, as you mentioned, a little bit of topsy-turvy with, uh, you know, with uh, players, you know, coming and going. Uh, the injury uh, as well uh, is key, but still a very technically solid side. And, and you know, um, it's always a, always an interesting match, obviously, between Chelsea and Wolfsburg coming up um, and so forth. But it was one of those things where, you know, it is a different feel, though, Rob, isn't it? Where it's, you know, you're in a group and all you need to do is really be in the top two. So is it going to be – do you think it's going to be one of those games where, you know, Chelsea's going to want to go up and go out and prove another point? Uh, or is it – how do you think the mental approach Emma is going to take for this particular match, knowing that this is not a knockout match? This is a group stage kind of situation. And how do you I think she'll approach it? I think away at Wolfsburg, she'll probably be happy with a point because it's more important mm -hmm. not to lose on your opening sort of match day. Um, but I think, you know – I think Emma doesn't know much else other than going out to try and win. So I think she will try and see if she can, you know, see if they can go and get the points and get the win. And obviously Wolfsburg dropping points against Freiburg at the weekend. I think Chelsea will be hoping they can go in and maybe capitalise a little bit on the issues and the injuries that they've taken. And, you know, Tommy also being new to um, Wolfsburg having come in the summer and maybe capitalise on sort of that issue. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of uh, yeah, there's a lot of question marks around Wolfsburg and so forth, but there's still you know a solid side, and hopefully for Chelsea that some of those mental errors that that were kind of went on, that kind of switching off, you know, right at the start of the second half, as we talked about earlier, will not happen in this because against uh, a, even a Wolfsburg in transition, uh, not transition play, but just transition as a club, um, you know, they they will punish you if you mentally turn off. Um, mm. and so forth. Um, so with that, and then coming up in the weekend is against, uh, you know, my favorite team, um, <laughs> Leicester City, uh, who I, I get continue to be bashed uh, in a very nice way. I continue to be bashed on social media for uh, my, my, uh, my, you know, oh, my love, love, you know, love for Leicester City. And I, I'm like, I keep, believing that Leicester City somehow is going to come through, but they can't score any goals. Um, so any thoughts about Leicester City coming up over the weekend on Sunday? I'm just, I'm really excited for the game. It's my first game back at King's Meadow for a long time. Um, as we said, it's going to be the CSW social meetup as well. So yeah. yeah, I think, you know, I think in all honesty, this could be one of those games where if Leicester aren't careful, especially with the injuries, I think they've started to get piling up and sort of the issues they've had defensively. Um, this could be the sort of game where they do have a real drubbing if they're not careful. And I, I hope it isn't like that because I don't really, I want to go along and see a sort of semi-competitive match. I don't want to just see Chelsea wallop someone out of sight, but, you know, they haven't given anyone a real, a real, real drubbing at home for a while. Um, and, you know, bits and pieces were just starting to feel like they were clicking together for Chelsea. And it could be Paul Leicester that take the brunt of it. I, I really wish I... I... Yeah, I really, really wish that wasn't the case because, um, you know, but this is going to be, I, I just have a really sick, sort of that feeling in your stomach that you get where you feel like there's something, something quote horrible going to happen mm -hmm. uh, because the, 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 everything is lining up for Chelsea to just completely roll them. Um, and so I, I, I fear that it will be 
um, one, it may be one of those matches where, you know, we, we talked about when there may not be as many of those six ones, seven nils and five zero kind of score lines. I'm afraid this might actually be one of them. If, uh, things don't come together quickly, um, in the next week, in a few days, um, right. I just really worry, uh, but glad to see, you know, obviously going, wrenching you back to going back to King's Meadow. Um, so that'll be a great experience, obviously. Uh, for you to go back there um, after so so long a span of time, so you sure please let us know how that went and how that went and how that was for you on the yes, next time. Is. All right, everyone, Rob, thank you so much for joining us today. I look forward to talking to you about these next two games on the very next week. Any other things that you want to shout out about uh, uh, before I'll we just- close? Before we close, just quickly, if anyone hasn't already researched it, have a look at the information about the NWSL, uh, because it's a story that deserves to be told. Um, it's a very harrowing story. I will say, you know, as a trigger warning, there are some very upsetting and distressing things to read about. But yeah. it's important for players now to feel like they can come forward. And in all honesty, I feel like the league as a concept has failed them um, yes. due to some of the stories that you hear. And it's good to now hear action being done, but also... It can't just be allowed to swept, be swept under the rug or, you know, be disappear into long, tedious commissions and tribunals. There needs to be instant action. So, yeah, you know, all power to the players involved. And hopefully, you know, there isn't going to be, it sounds awful, but I hope there aren't more, you know, worse allegations or sort of um, sort of proven stories that come forward afterwards because it was genuinely distressing reading. Um, yeah, we, I, I've tried to, I had a brief moment where I was going to talk about more about it and more about it. And I decided, you know, the coverage has been very extensive, which has yeah. been very good. The coverage has been excellent um, and so forth. But this is, you know, this is a podcast about the WSL. But yes, it, what has come out with it and WSL here in the United States has been completely horrific. And, I, and the, 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 um, the two fra- two phrases I have to, to talk about it and to, to speak of it is institutional failure and failure of institutional controls um, is is really the, the, the point that going forward has to be kind of thought about is like the league didn't protect their players and have been and the league hasn't done a horrible job uh, overall protecting its players and and and. Um, that's got to change. And, and I don't under, and what I also, you know, don't under, you know, have trouble with is, is why there's all these failures of institutional controls and, and oversight and things like that seem to happen repeatedly in women's sports here in the United States. I can't really speak to elsewhere, but I can speak to the United States. There's, there isn't the type of oversight and controls and and being able to protect the athletes, um, particularly women athletes, young athletes, and, and so forth, has been horrifically bad. And this is just another case in point. Uh, one of the questions I had, Rob, if you don't mind me asking, are there are there significant controls in place institutionally within the WSL to make sure things like this don't happen? From what I understand, yes, although I think there's always more that can be done. So I think that's yeah. important to stress that, you know, this shouldn't be, that this should only be the beginning of improving player safety and welfare. 
I'm, I, I, my hope is is that other leagues, and it was in, including the WSL, kind of look at what happened, um, you know, and see what not to do, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you know, and see like, oh, well, no, we can't have that, uh, and look, you know, start making improvements um, themselves immediately um, is what's absolutely necessary. But it's really horrifying reading, and and I urge people if you are interested, trigger warning definitely because it's very distressing mm-hmm. um, reading. Um, it's yeah it's quite distressing so definite trigger warning there but meg lenhan's piece in the athletic that starts the whole thing the whole ball rolling um is an excellent piece very detailed comprehensive uh well thought out um and so forth so those of you would be interested and aren't so inclined i definitely urge you to to, uh read that but uh with that being said uh anything else rob no i think that's got to be everything now yeah, I think so. All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching. And remember, please smash a like. Please subscribe and please share uh, this on uh, any social media apparatus that's still up and running. Um, you know, by the time you hear this or listen or watch this. Also, if you are listening to us uh, on any of the podcast platforms, and we're on all of them, and apparently they still work, um, then please give us a five-star review. Also, share. Um, share. Let's keep the momentum going. Thank you, Rob, for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. All right. Uh, later on this evening, we're going to talk to Kate, who is with the Manchester City Women's uh, OES Supporters Club. We'll talk about her and uh, her thoughts on uh, why Gareth Taylor still has a job, apparently, uh, as of this moment, um, and sitting in ninth place and what that means um discussion uh later on this evening and tomorrow we'll have josh back from the islington gazette to talk about the number one team in the league right now uh arsenal so looking forward to that so catch you all tomorrow or actually later on this evening and tomorrow and hopefully i can get this uh these videos posted on youtube because youtube's been giving us a hard time so fun times for everybody here so take care everybody and have a good one and talk to you later